Hello, welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that hosts powerful, imperfectly perfect conversations and shines the light on amazing individuals and their work in order to empower young people, teachers, educators, leaders and parents to live a happy and fulfilled life and most importantly, to flourish. We really hope you enjoy all our conversations. Welcome to another powerful, imperfectly perfect conversation for the Flourishing Education podcast. Today, I'm super excited to welcome my new guest, Dr. Daniel Bao. Ava Ruhm, welcome to the podcast, Daniel. Thanks for inviting me, Fabian. Yeah, wonderful. So, um, Daniel, I'm going to start with the question that I ask all the guests. And this, this is the one sort of question I give a little bit in advance, and then there's none after that. Um, is would you tell the listeners a little bit more about you? So where you're based, uh, you know, and your journey thus far? <laughs> that could be a very long um opening monologue. Um, well, my name is Daniel Wallen. I'm based on Mallorca, um, an island in the Mediterranean, the Western Mediterranean, um, part of the Balearic Archipelago. And um, I've lived here now for 12 years, but um, I'm originally German, spent a lot of time in Scotland um, in, in various phases of my life. Also, um, have a long history with Spain before I came to the Balearics, spent, spent some time in Granada and the Alpujarras and near Madrid, um, some time in California and in Japan and in India. And I've, I used to travel a lot. And um, my wife and I, 12 years ago, chose partially Mallorca because A, it's a um, defined territory as an island. And I always thought that the real transformation that we now need to do is at the bioregional level and islands are good case studies for bioregions because you don't have an argument about where the bioregion starts or stops. Um, and we really wanted to throw an anchor and, and begin a journey of what I would call re-inhabitation after both my, my wife is English, I'm German. Um, so we had very We've lived in so many different places, moved together 28 times over, I think it, at that point it would have been um, 15 years of, of um, traveling around Europe and other places, that we just wanted to commit to a place in, in, a, in a real sense of if in three years' time the usual response happens that, oh, these people in this place is impossible, I ne we need to move on, um, then let's see that as us facing our own stories um, because there's no, every place is imperfectly perfect to pick up on your introduction. Uh, um, so, and that's that's the journey that, that, that we've been on. Um, and it's related to my work, which is this trying to bring people back into the awareness that we've actually been a regenerative, place-sourced species for most of our history, that um, we have it in, in our very DNA. And I'm, I used to be a marine and evolutionary biologist. So, so even as a scientist, I, I can tell you that um, we wouldn't be here if our ancestors in deep history hadn't been bioregional custodians of the places that they didn't see as their place, the place they owned, but they saw themselves as expressions of those places. And somewhere with the beginning of agriculture and, and, a, and a notion of power over, like um, nature was, we accepted that nature was unpredictable and uncontrollable for a long part of that journey. But there was always the fear that something would, a catastrophe would happen. And, and, and somehow we started this this let's see if we can make nature like modern human nature um bend bend it to our will and 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 that in the scientific revolution even that language was used like francis bacon 
um, spoke about torturing nature's secrets from her and all those kind of terrible witch, witch burning language of, 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 of those times. Um, I think we need to remember that that's a very short part of our history and that the deep anchor where we go even beyond that conversation of who's indigenous and who is not indigenous. We're all indigenous to life. We just all have been colonized um, both in the mind and by conquerors at different stages over the last 10,000 years. Um, Europe much earlier than, than then in the traumatic backlash of, the, of, of those conquests, the Europeans started colonializing the whole world and, and, and inflicting the same and worse trauma on others. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm veering off, but all of this is related to this deep notion that I believe we need to re-enter the community of life that we've never been separate from, apart from in our language and through our education system, through the way that we, we actually teach culturally by cultural osmosis and in our schools, a perspective as if nature was other, as if um, technology and culture is something apart from nature. And that's a very, very unrealistic view of how this biophysical totality that is planet Earth, the living biosphere, even our solar system or the cosmos as an interconnected, transforming, nested complexity that is only separate through the concepts we use to make sense of it. It's it, it, it isn't separate. And so we, we really called to my mind to redesign the human presence on earth within the generations alive today in such a way that we re-enter the community of life and become expressions of place rather than owners of place again. And that that's like, I, I've got a half hectare of um, food forest to take care of here in, in Mallorca. And, and I'm, I'm just living that relational conversation with a piece of land that I don't see as my land, but I much more I see, and, and, and it's much more realistic that I'm the land's human, the, the, the caretaker of, of the land for the time that I've got to, to do that. But it's a lovely, lovely dialogue that I'm learning a lot from. And that's what, the, um, and yeah, I think I'll leave it at that. Um, let's see where that takes us. This is so beautiful. And so um, the reason I say it's beautiful is because I'm a linguist. Mm -hmm. I, you know, uh, I, all my background is in linguistics and I've learned languages. You know, I'm a passionate lover of other cultures. You know, I'm French, but I live in, in the UK and I lived in in, uh, in Spain like you. Um, you know, and so I I really love this idea of you know, like I've always been interested in discovering the deeps of cultures you know when you you enter a new culture it's so beautiful to discover what there is there you know beyond the just the surface manifestation right of what you see um and I really love the words you've used so what I heard and again you know apologies I'm putting my subjectivity on your beautiful work so um but this re-entering the community and the you know through the education the language we use I guess my first question would be, do you feel that there is a, a need to, for, for a shift of narrative in the sense that currently the stories we tell or the, the language we use is not conducive to that, you know, viewing ourselves as an expression of, of those places? Um, mm -hmm. is, is that how you, you would start or would you do it, um, sort of do it well, differently? Um, I'll answer in a roundabout way. Um, like in 2006, I published a PhD that was the result of about six years of research, including my master's work at Schumacher College. Um, and that PhD was entitled Design for Human and Planetary Health, a Holistic Integral Approach to Complexity and Sustainability. A big academic title. And if we, if we sort of unpack that a bit, the bit the notion of design like one of the key aspects that i um learned while at schumacher college was that schumacher college it, the masters in holistic science exposed me to um 
the other side or the the expand the cutting edge of science pushing beyond the limits of the reductionist mechanistic metaphors that scientists have been using and the the these notions that are actually um philosophically and and logically not not really um correct that somehow there's an objective world out there that we can objectively put into boxes with statistical p-values and that is reality um one of the great fallacies of that scientific endeavor is that at some point we lost the attention to how the organizing ideas and the narratives and the way of seeing the, the, the dimension of mind actually influences how we do science and how the world then through that science shows up for us. And the interesting thing is that the physicists understood that over 100 years ago with Heisenberg saying, um, what we observe is not nature, but nature exposed to our method of questioning. Um, but it goes even deeper into the, the roots of the, the like um, you were talking about cultures and linguistics, the, the, the German romantics, particularly, particularly Goethe, um, actually saw that. A lot of people see Goethe only as, as, as the poet um, laureate of, of Germany, but, but he was a scientist. And he saw that the Newtonian type of universe and the Newtonian reductionist way of working and the mathematics that he was using to describe the world was blind to exactly that, the dimension of mind in observing phenomena as they come into being through our act of observing them. And, and so Goethe was a phenomenologist before phenomenology was, was started. Um, and that is, I think, the underlying, so the, what I'm saying is the narrative, there is another narrative that has been there all along. It's not necessarily a new narrative, but it has been suppressed by the dominant narrative, which is that of separation. Charles Eisenstein um, coined it the, the story, story from the story of separation to the story of interbeing, um, using Titnat Han's wonderful poem of, of interbeing. Um, as highlighting that it's impossible to be in separation. Being is a relational activity. We are always in relationship. Like we're, the world shows up through relationship. And um, so, yeah, I think in education, we have to pay huge attention at all. Like when I say education, I mean lifelong learning. I don't mean these kind of weird boxes where you, you for the first third of your life, you go through a number of different graded boxes of, of education, and then you've learned everything you need to know, and then you apply it for another third of your life, and then you retire. And that's, that's a model that, again, we, we're so quick to say that's how things are. No, that's how things apparently came to be for a very short period in human history during the, the peak of the carbon pulse, which we're now at the end of. Um, so things will change. And, and, and we need to remember that for the long journey before the carbon pulse, we had that much more deeply connected to place and the resources of place and how we could meet human needs within the limits of a bound territory, a bioregion, that because it was the world for those place-based people, they knew that if they overdid it in one corner, when they came back around to that corner, they would have to pay the price. So they learned how to be disruptors, but be disruptors that actually liberate life's capacity to generate abundance. So they became gardeners of entire territories to make them more vibrant, more bioproductive, more like the, there's this wonderful work that I highly recommend, um, Leila June, um, Native American scientist, musician, um, activist. Um, she did her PhD, which is recently published, on how 
the prairie um, tribes of, of uh, Native America, um, people always say the buffalo, the, 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 that the Native Americans followed the buffalo, but the reality is actually that the buffalo fo followed the Native Americans because of their land use practices disrupting the land so the buffalo would follow after because of what they were doing and through um, burn practices and all those kind of things um, because the buffaloes were after the small grass it's it's fascinating yeah? and and you can see it in so many uh, re research projects that have recently come out from Colombia to like the 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 black soils of the Colombian rainforest terra preta um is also a human-made artifice. Like that—that's humans as part of the ecosystem, burying biochar with clay pots to make it, would inoculate it with the right fungi in order to create a more abundant ecosystem. And even the species distribution, like what species grow in these forests, is actually gardened over generations. Similarly, in North America, and it's that kind of capacity we have and we now need to remember and um the important of uh, to my mind of this this framing is not to say here's the old narrative here's the new narrative but it is about always about also recovering that this narrative has actually been there in the past but similarly what people have misunderstood or misrepresented the the notion of um regenerative cultures as this new utopian proposition of something that might be the ideal that would get us out of the mess we're in right now. Um, yes, and it's not an utopia, it's actually all around us. The, 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 one of the key flips away from the kind of sustainability approach to, oh yeah, there's a wicked problem cluster, there are converging crises, there are um, the, the world problematic, as the Club of Rome calls it. Uh -huh. um, and then we, we describe in this abstract way, as our education system teaches us, these problems ever more abstract with more and more scientists. We, show, we, we, we say that they show up all over the world. And so let's get clear about the problem. And then we find solutions that we can implement all over the world. And, and then exactly that pattern is actually what creates then solutions in an abstract space where abstract problems get by engineers solutioneered into abstract solutions. And then we're surprised that we mess it up when we try to fit them into places that are real, dynamic, living, um, full of warm data. Uh, and um, regenerative is the exact flip of that. It's saying rather than creating the necessary reduction of complexity so we can actually handle it because this nested interconnected wholeness is just too much to ever know fully. We tried it the pathway, like we Western science and Western um, culture tried it the pathway of this just described, here's a problem, what's the solution? The kind of allopathic medicine of health, you, you fall out of a perfect state and then you try to get back into this perfect state. Like it's, it's, it's even the story of like in some religions, uh, very strange. Um, but if you go into the specificity of a particular culture in a particular place. So you don't, you meet complexity head on. You don't reduce it. You just don't, you cut out the noise of abstract global narratives and you meet all these, what some people frame as problems in a particular territory with real human beings and a real history to those human beings, both those who've been there for a long time and those who've recently come there. That diversity is what, what is life's diversity in human form in that place. That's the, the, in that is the potential for the solutions that place needs. And both in terms of holding the deep history of the place, but also holding the innovation that the, the newcomers also bring to that place. And so it's, it's not a kind of parochial back to the region, let's keep all of them out or kick the foreigners out, like the kind of 
strange stuff that that happens unfortunately all over the world at the moment that that backlash of of fascist nazi ideology yeah um no it's it's the opposite it's saying if we look at this place and we meet all those so-called problems in real human beings with real conditions a real climate pattern um capacity to grow certain things and not others um, certain soil theories, certain um, amount of precipitation and 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 water cycle in different states of health. Suddenly, rather than seeing all of that as a problem, because you're seeing it specifically with real human beings and real cultures and real places, you can flip it and you see the potential, and that's what regeneration is about. To make a system, a locality, a region, see itself again. And to see that regenerative cultures are all around us, whether it's passionate teachers teaching in their schools, really trying to, in their own way, maybe even with their own limited understanding of the, the participatory worldview, because they also are products of their own education, still trying to impart something that is unleashing the potential in every student they have. Um, that's working regeneratively. S similarly, people working with the local badgers or with single mums or with um, teenagers that, that um, haven't got the love they needed at home and need some guidance to fall back as mature members into, into the community rather than, than juvenile delinquents, all those people are actually working with potential. The local organic farmers, the, 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 the local permaculturists, um, all of them are trying to look at what is this place and how do we make this place more abundant? How do we fall into the pattern of life, creating conditions conducive to life? And so the hopeful message, I think, of this is we don't need to start from zero. It's not like we've created this terrible system that is 100% evil and we are just fallen angels and all that kind of, no, it's all around us. We, we are re working regeneratively, but the economic and monetary system, the narrative of competition, um, there's so much cognitive dissonance with how life actually works because we're still, repeating this Victorian invention where they hijacked Darwin's theory and made it into a justification for the inequalities of Victorian England at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And, and, and that narrative is so running through our culture that we don't even realize that we are so much more capable than that narrative has made us believe we are in, in, in multiple ways as healers of places, as healers of communities. But I think to come back to Goethe and the different faculties, much more than that, like C.G. Jung describes four ways of knowing. And our education system is entirely focused on analytical knowledge of objects out there that we can then manipulate and control supposedly because we, we observe them objectively, all that, that narrative. But Jung said, no, that the human being has four access points to valid knowledge. And thinking the analytical mind is a useful one, but it's only one. Sensing, feeling, and intuiting are the others. Their embodied knowledge, their, that sort of inner voice, the intuiting that, 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 that integrates all of that, that, that works with warm data, as Nora Bateson would call it, of, of this trans-contextual uh, data that is not in the data sets, but in how people relate to them and how they relate to each other and in the place and its history. And, and we, we actually are enormously capable of, because we're not separate from the system, but we're cells in a larger body of the system, those three access points actually access us 
into our larger body, what Ananas would call the ecological self, the, the larger story that, that we are in this shifted perspective where we are emergent properties of a larger system that are here for a while, affect that system and then reintegrate into it. That's the cycle of death and rebirth in, in, in scientific terms as well. And maybe the last thing, long answer here, <laughs> um, the notion of complexity science, like or the, 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 the work in complexity science has clearly shown us that because when it, we can actually use mathematics to describe this larger system we're in, but not in the sense that we're taught mathematics in school in terms of definite outcomes and predictability, but because they're non-linear mathematical functions where the input becomes, where the output becomes the input of the next iteration as the system keeps transforming, the only thing that we can do is make those systems more intelligible, understand the fluctuating dynamics of life and how to dance with it. What we can't do is narrowly predict and control with certainty how this system will react. There's a difference between predictability and certainty and intelligibility. And, and so even for the kind of hard-nosed mathematics teachers on your listener said, um, we, we can say that even science has on the cutting edge invited us to understand that this notion of prediction and control is an old unsustainable paradigm. We need to understand not knowing and uncertainty enough to understand that the, the most we can aim for is appropriate participation. And and participation is deeply referring to this worldview that we're not separate from what we're looking at. Both our mind and our embodied way of being actually shift how the system shows up. And, and that's, I think, what, what the cutting edge of education now is about. How do we focus more on the being shift that we can generate in lifelong learners? And how do we build this regenerative capacity for learning through peer-to-peer -peer intergenerational learning where, where, where like as we, the people still rethink work with now all this like working from home and blah, blah, blah. And then they rethink education and then they rethink um, the food system and then they rethink the health system if we again that's the abstract solutioneering pattern if you really focus just on one particular place and you actively rethink how a different way of working and a different way of educating would mean that there is more participation and cross-sectoral participation between food and farming. I mean, Bendel Berry put it beautifully, like that, that, that we, we educate people for a medical system that pays no attention to food and we educate farmers or agriculturalists for a food system that pays no attention to health. And where the Vedanta and the Ayurvedic medicine have, have understood thousands of years ago that obviously what we eat is what we become and, and is the core medicine that that we need eh, in a salutogenic health generating approach to health. And, and so how do we really understand that so much of what we take for granted, even the structure of education with schooling and everything um, is, is a design that hasn't been pre-given that we can fundamentally change and, and possibly it, it radically needs to change because it was invented in a way where as education got formalized, it was aiming to produce the workers for the mills and those who managed them. And um, I think we need something else now. Yeah. And I love, there's so much in what you said there. So <laughs> yeah, sorry, folks. Yeah, I love, 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 love,
listening to you and love what you said. So um, it, it's funny because there's two things that I'm going to pick on on the whole beautiful things that you've said for now is, you know, you were talking about the Victorian, you know, like the, the, the fact that we have inherited this Victorian approach and you came back to that in like the current system is a product of that, right? Um, and my son and I recently were talking about traditions um, in because we live in Britain and how and and he's fifteen and he was saying you know sometimes traditions are not great um, in the sense that they you know they they take you as this is what we do but I I really want to challenge them um, and then you know you also mentioned like being healers of of places. And what I heard in what you were saying is such a shift also in terms of, you know, the abstract things, but also about, you know, the wanting to be the hero who's going to be bringing this regenerative, um, which I see, because I shine the light on amazing disruptors on the podcast, I see an awful lot of amazing work being done. But that sense of, you know, there will be one hero who's going to come and save the world. But what I heard you say instead is actually focusing on where we are, you know, and and reconnecting uh, in the local environment and a reconnection, you know, that remembering that we were doing that already. Um, so I guess, again, like it, this is my subjectivity to the your, your beautiful sort of sharing. Um, yeah, and let, lots of, just, just briefly on, on the tradition thing, because you're in Britain and I lived in, in Scotland and England um, for quite some time, like 12 years in total, I think. Um, I always laughed about that. You can make a little study out of it, but people answer. Um, you know how even in newly built houses, they still have hot water taps and cold water taps? They they don't use mixer taps. I and, know, I know. <laughs> and, and, and just just in, find a g gentle and polite way to reach the subject with, with some particularly English friends of yours and see how often it's like, well, it's always been like that. That's how it is. It's the answer. Yeah. Um, sometimes people make a referral to the old hot water tanks and the problem with Legionella and that it was safer and that and, and they still believe that the modern mixer taps don't deal with that as well. But anyway, um, but it's it's just one of those examples of of how we. Um, I mean, that's in in my PhD research that I mentioned earlier. I called that meta design that. Um, this, the, the design discipline, which actually I never finished that arch earlier. Um, what I realized while it was a Schumacher College is that the worldview that the holistic sciences describe needs to be put into action in a real place. And the discipline of ecological design or whole systems design for sustainability or um, place sourced regenerative design is that it allows people to put knowledge from different disciplines. Design is sort of at the nexus of sociology, history, technology, science. Um, and the designer, and we're all designers, we're all designing some form of response to some form of real or perceived needs in, in our daily lives. Um, is, it, is sort of mixing and matching and then putting it into material expression but what we very often just like we were talking with goethe and New versus newton like not being conscious of the dimension of mind design and technology is often also not conscious of how captive to this narrative of more things more technology technology will save us it's all in technology gadget solutions we we actually are and it's only when you change the meta design, the organizing ideas and concepts and narratives that inform design that you then shift how the world is coming forth, that how we design responses to our needs. And, and so paying attention to that is, is critical. And that means working at that cultural tradition level, questioning 
how often we just repeat somebody else's design just by by default because we assume that's just well somebody's must have thought about that at some point yeah but that was 150 years ago and things have changed yeah. um but where was the the second half of your question went in a, a very different direction and i'm trying to help me what what was the the, the the healers of places and then the heroes the i know <laughs> coming in and being the savior of you know, this for me for me is it's i see around the world now different um initiatives that are trying to do what the poet gary snyder so beautifully called re-inhabitation um and he also wisely reminded us and this is like in 1973 or something um that in order to become re-inhabitory we have to make ourselves um, common cause with the remaining inhabitory people of this earth, farmers, peasants, and indigenous people um, on, on small holdings or around the world. And, um, and that's so true. Like in every place, the way to reconnect with the land is through the traditional stewards of the land that ag agriculture has not been about extraction. It has been about ecosystems healing and, and and well even management is is is, is a loaded term in that um but in these different initiatives that that you can now see from like joe bruce work in colombia with the local community um stuff in in costa rica eduard muller um or glenn page in, um, on on the eastern side of the uh, north of the united states um, and then there's an initiative called Salmon Nation um, on, on the West Coast, um, up, up sort of Olympia, Washington area. Um, and many, many other places. Um, Isabel Carlyle with the Bioregional Learning Center in, um, in Devon. Um, and there is always this question, how do you bring this conversation to a place and ideally, like my theory of change, because of what I'm basing my understanding of how to affect change in, is that it is much more about paying attention to the system seeing itself, like the warm data of relationships. Who knows who? Are they actually aware that something that seems so disparate, like um, I install cooperatively community-owned solar panels with people to um, I'm working on creating a um, different, more regionalized systems of, of governance and work with sociocracy and, and conflict mediation and supporting people to talk to each other, that they're actually both facets of building community cohesion, building a re reconnection with place. Um, and and then also the, in inviting certain like doing the meta design in the region, inviting certain conversations, questions. That's why I work so much with questions to spread to to pop up in different places, not with a kind of oh, and so and so asked us to ask this question, but no, here's a question. Let's talk about it. Eh? And um, because. That's an invitation to participation. That's an invitation to to accessing collective intelligence and and learning um, out of different perspectives. And and um, for me, that's like how do we fall in love with this place again? Um, um, seeding just ideas like, oh, what would it look like if the local university was challenged to use all the disciplines at the university with a focus on how they can make people in this place understand this place better. So from the chemists to the biologists to the ecologists, all the way to the designers and graphic designers and historians and linguists, how do we not only find all this stuff out about this place, how do we make it look beautiful and communicate it to people so it comes out of the ivory tower and makes people more aware of their own behavior and the impacts, but also makes people more in awe with the amazing 
ness of where they live. And, and that's a rethinking of education. And you can do that in primary school, you can do it in secondary school, you can do it in university. Um, similarly, local museums and um, cultural institutions can offer their uniqueness by still, you can still have international um, concerts, but, but you could also invite local musicians to introduce that concert with a unique sound that comes out of that place and, and, and make that part of the art again. And like, similarly, local culture, painting, sculpture, to really celebrate local materials, local arts and crafts, local um, his, historical patterns of making something out of the resources of that place in a way that was carefully adapted to that place and not not over um, exploiting it. All, all of the, that for me is what we need to encourage people to have conversations about. And it, it works initially maybe faster if you put a pin down and say, I am establishing this initiative and now come and join this initiative, or here's a center and here we will learn. Eh? Um, but this kind of dancing with complexity approach is, is kind of more like setting acupuncture needles on, on the path and, and seeding memes and then trusting that they will travel. And, and success is measured in somebody really excitedly telling you something that you spent 10 years planting the meme for um, and, and say, oh, yeah, we need to do like Mallorca is the perfect case study for bioregional innovation. It's like, mm, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's a good idea. And, and you don't go, no, well, you can watch a video where I said that um, in 2013. Yeah? You, you think that, you don't don't say that because that, that's more that's more effective yeah? and so yeah but but that's just my theory of change like I, I um because the danger is that people back it backlashes when it becomes too much about one person um and and but but then of course it has its own dynamic if you do this kind of work in a place like i here on mallorca don't feel like i've done major things on mallorca and look at Daniel's project on Mallorca. Uh, um, but sometimes it's presented like that. And um, it's it's much more like that some amazing people have done amazing things here on Mallorca. And I'm helping to bring what they do into a larger narrative. And yes, I, I've helped fund in the background or made some connections and, and, and something sparked through that. But, but those are things that yeah, it's 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 more sort of you 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 put a creative spin, a little eddy into the larger stream, and then sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Or the the, the magic that we've probably all seen in our lives, where something fails, and initially it's hard and it's disappointing, and then with hindsight, ten years later, you suddenly realize, wow, in that failure, those three people met, and those two people met, and look at what those people have done since then. Yeah? And and so you, was it a failure, or would it have been a failure if we had succeeded in that, and these people wouldn't have reorganized themselves to do what they then went on doing, yeah? informed by that failure. So again, this is part of a mistaken education system that, um, particularly in Europe, we have that issue. That, that failure um, to get a degree or failure to get a good degree or failure to, to go bankrupt with your business because you were too early with your ideas or something. Um, that's one of the places where America does have a different attitude that is actually helpful. Uh, that in, in America, you can put um, started three businesses, failed three times, learned a lot in a, in a business plan. And people say, Good sentence. I like it. Yeah. And and in in Germany, at least, people would say, "What? Three failures? No, we can't have one of those." Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I love the language you use also because this is a language I use a lot, like dancing with life, and 
and the conversations so you know I talk these these conversations for the podcast I created the podcast first of all for myself because I realized when I when I started home educating or homeschooling during COVID my two teenage well they they were not teenagers then but I really became aware of oh my goodness what happens here in primary and secondary explains what I see at uni so I wanted to to find answers and so I started conversations with people um and and what I love about the podcast is that every time I have a conversation you know um Eagleman says we're live wired so you know we we completely changed through the conversations I'm going to be a different person after the conversation I've had with you um and this is such a different approach and when I heard you use also like as, as an image is like a, a flux right it's a it's almost trusting that that failure is actually taking us where you know, we don't know right it's it's is that trust in the process versus the certainty you know one of the big thing when I went back to higher education the reason I started my research into flourishing or lack of flourishing is because I could see in nine years the young people in front of me were completely different individuals uh, from their peers nine year prior and it wasn't what we were doing at university because that hadn't drastically changed. Um, and, and it was for me, it's the, oh, okay, they still wanted that certainty. They've got, they had a real uncertainty intolerance. Uh, they wanted to know for sure and they wanted to know what the one answer was. Um, and so I think it's that, you know, that, that shift is like, you know, the reason I share the podcast is like, well, you know, maybe that one conversation will plant a little seed, like you were saying, and then suddenly people start talking about things differently. So that's one thing I wanted to say to what you said. And the second thing is like you're talking about the impact you've had in, in Mallorca. It made me think of the fungus and mycelium in a sense that, you know, fungus, like us humans we see funguses maybe as not very glamorous but actually I love them I often refer to to the work I do with flourishing education as a bit like being a fungi um and it's fun to be a fungi anyway in in that connection sense and I had that same image when you were sharing your work is that sometimes you know the, the connection and the connecting people and seeing what arborescence what comes out of that is so beautiful to watch you, you just made me deepen into the mycelium metaphor which is like a, and another thing to highlight for educators in terms of what can i do different tomorrow as 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 somebody who listens to this podcast was involved in education in one way or another is pay attention to the metaphors you use like how often do you refer to the brain as a computer um, or like the downloading something or um, all these kind of un com committed to my memory bank or I just can't recall it from my memory and all, all of these and it's it's all like in the brain and then a sort of like very very simplistic mechanistic um, like the way even we think of wholeness is always this um additive wholeness of putting lots of parts together in a certain way and then you have the whole eh? um and the mycelium is just such a lovely organic not mechanistic uh developmental um metaphor and if you think about it even like i completely agree with you for me this is something i often say when I do webinars with, with larger groups of people is that, and one of the large misunderstandings we have in our narrative is also this false separation between theory and practice. Um, because it, it comes straight from this, what we talked about a number of times, this not paying attention to the dimension of mind in how we actually make sense and participate in the world. And, um, Aligned with that is exactly that, that you and I are currently relational beings bringing forth a certain 
experience of the larger reality that, it, that we emerged from through the relationships we're forming, even if it is with a computer and, and Zoom call. Yeah? And, and so literally, uh, as my one of my mentors, Satish Kumar, um, reframed um, Descartes, I think, therefore I am, um, to you are, therefore I am. Um, so it's that relational worldview. And in that deeper sense, yes, designs go on designing and meta designs go on designing. So memes travel, sometimes not very far, sometimes suddenly it's the right time for a meme and, and it travels very fast. And, and so I often remind groups that they shouldn't think of this, oh yeah, we talked about regenerative cultures and, and circular economy and this, that, and the other. And now I have a long list of things to do and now I have to get going. Let's, let's get practical. Let's stop all this theory. Yeah? Instead of understanding that it's tiny little flips in, in metaphor that, that can be deeply guiding and or become new organizing ideas for somebody's life for reorienting the trajectory from that point onwards, just a tiny little bit. But that's sometimes in complex systems, it's small differences can turn out to be huge in, in effect, the famous butterfly effect. Um, and so yeah, to come back to the mycelium, as you were speaking, I suddenly thought, yeah, in, in many ways, each one of us as individuals and, and we feel so individual, so separate from the world, because we pay attention to the fruit body of the mushroom. That thing that pops up, looks really beautiful for a few days, then gets wrinkly pretty quick and disappears again. And, and that's basically one, one human lifetime. Um, but that doesn't mean that the mycelium, the the network that is invisible, that in our cases, maybe through the mycelium of consciousness and narrative and story, suddenly begins to connect the emperor penguins to the ice, icebergs, to the sequoia trees, to love poems, to, um, to lamenting um, the, the cycle of death and rebirth. Um, all, all of that is suddenly something that we have connected and contributed to. Like we're, we, we can't change the stream, but we're contributors to a larger stream that can change outcomes hugely. And, um, and for me, that's, that's similarly like the, these flowing dynamic metaphors, like it's, it's just lovely to think that um, we're all given an opportunity to express our unique potential this time around. And it's not through competition and elbows and getting ahead of the other. The, the beautiful paradox is that in order to fully self-realize and express the unique potential, it can only be, because we're living in a relational universe, in deep connection with and service to the next greater whole. Um, our family, our community, our ecosystem, our bioregion. And to rest assured that rather than having to become a globally renowned scientist that solves global problems at, with the COP process and the United Nations and, and all of that, if we solve these issues in our places, in our bioregions, because place is fractal, and this place, this bioregion is also the planet. And we are also the planet. A fundamental change, even just in the individual, is a change in the whole system. And a change in the community is a change in the whole system. And that's, I think, where, we, where we're given back our agency and, and our daily invitation to embrace this paradox of, on the one hand, when you understand participation and complexity correctly, it gives you a huge humility because you meet the limits of your own knowing and uncertainty. But then paradoxically also because 
you realize how it is through your choice of attention and intention and the narrative you can put to a situation, even if you can't change the situation, you can change how you respond to it. Suddenly you realize that it gives you a huge agency and that that agency is not a choice that we, can, we, we can't but participate. We can't but change the future of life on earth with how we live because that's the relational nature of being. But we can be distracted from distraction by a distraction, as T.S. Eliot so beautifully put it, um, that we don't pay attention to the dimension of mind and our own agency in participation. And therefore, we live somewhat blindly in false narratives, chasing false hopes like, like um, what's his name? Um, the, the guy, the hero with a thousand faces guy, um, beautiful quote um, that happens to so many people in our current education system of getting to the top of the ladder to realize it um, is leaning against the wrong wall. Um, that That's what causes the burnout for a lot of people at some point in their life. Uh, and so if we, if we remember our agency and we dance between this audacity of since my life does matter, I might as well make it matter, whether it's making my privilege count, because sometimes we can't turn privilege away once we ha have it by birth, by where we were born, by what passport we have, by what education was accessible to us. Um, but it is about how to use that, that privilege. Um, and then at the same time, use it with the humility of understanding that um, there's always magic behind certainty. Um, we, 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 the life, life's exploration of novelty will always throw a curveball and surprise us. And so, so rather than try to aim for certainty, if we get really good at sitting in a circle and saying, so what, and now what, when, life has thrown another curveball, then I think we, we're going to live into being a wiser culture more easily. Just beautiful. I, I could talk to you for hours, Daniel. It's just really phenomenal. Um, yeah, just, just really love what you've just shared. Um, and I wonder whether we should, perhaps if you're happy, like leave it at, with those last questions, you know? Mm -hmm. Now what? So 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 what? I think they're they're really beautiful. I just want to thank you. Thank you. Looking yeah. looking forward to listening to this again. Like sometimes it's it's also because we bring forth the world in the act of relationship. It's it's the quality of listening, the quality of space we co-create that then elicits certain things. I, sorry that I went into quite so many monologues, but uh, um, that's. <laughs> It, it's, it's please don't be because that's the purpose of this podcast is is me truly holding the space so I wanted to hear you <laughs> so I really I really um thank you for for your time today it's been pure delight thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of the day in yeah, where yes. are you um I'm near Bristol because it's Places have power. It's good good to to always name the place, even yeah. even in the yeah. virtual world. Yeah. yeah, I'm just outside Bristol. So and and Bristol is a good place for the for that you know, he, you know healing of of places. I think that you know Bristol That's is good. a beautiful. Like, a, a lot of great stuff happening in in October um, or end of September, early, early October. There will be a conference in Bristol called um, Planet Local. Uh, look look it up uh, you might oh, enjoy I will yeah. yeah amazing amazing well thank, thank you so much um, Daniel lovely to to meet you and have a lovely day have a lovely day bye thank you bye bye thank you for listening to this episode if you enjoy our podcast Please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts 
or follow us on Spotify. You can also reach me via Twitter at Flourishing Heichi on LinkedIn, or you can join our private Facebook group, Flourishing Education. All the links are easily available on anchor.fm. Thank you so much, and I hope you are flourishing. Bye for now.